Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Before we kick off the final word today with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, just a reminder that if you're in Adelaide or going to be in Adelaide for the Test Match this week, it's not too late to grab yourself a ticket to the live show, the 27th of November, Wednesday night. We're going to be at the Ambassador Hotel, Jeff, with Jason Gillespie and Jim Maxwell. Jason Gillespie and Jim Maxwell. Two for the price of one. Uh, you can hear all of the stories that Jim Maxwell has decided are fit to print and um, we'll be <laughs> looking at the, the the life and career with some of the less obvious bits as well of Jason Gillespie so it won't just be an hour of talking about his double hunt. In order to grab a ticket, jump on finalwordcricket.com. The Ambassador Hotel, Wednesday night, Adelaide. It's going to be fantastic. It's not too late. Finalwordcricket.com. Join us for the final word live in Adelaide. I had to go about it, write it out The test summer has started. There is cricket going on all around the world. The final word is on the road. We performed in Melbourne. We're again on stage in Adelaide. But, Jeff, this all pales into insignificance because today is indeed the moment that nine years ago Peter Siddle took a hat trick on his birthday! On his birthday, on his birthday, Peter Siddle. Happy birthday, he's 26 today. Oh, what a moment. What a moment in, in anyone's lifetime. That, that anxious 30 seconds or so as we waited for New Zealand umpire Tony Hill, I think it was, in the third umpire's box to uphold the leg before wicket decision against Stuart Broad, hitting him on the toe in front of leg stump, smashing the timber and Peter Siddle three wickets in three balls in a match that we don't really need to think about anything that happened after that. <laughs> None of that was really important. But the, the moment that mattered was then, was on that day and, and on every year's anniversary from, from now on. Well, uh, for, for the longest time, I thought you and I, and the final word, generally speaking, were the biggest advocates for recognising Peter Siddle's birthday hat-trick. But we've really been blown out of the water by Darcy Danaher, um, a, a, a Twitter user, let's call him to keep it nice and broad, who who has really jumped on this. And as best I can tell, all his other tweets are now gone. The only tweets that appear on his page relate to the the, the, the Peter Siddle birthday hat trick. During the ashes, when ever Siddle came on, I, I would I would roar about Peter Siddle's birthday hat trick in, into Vicious ear, um, who was sitting next to me for the duration of that series. And by the end of it, he wanted to stab me. Equally, he wanted to hug me because he's another uh, lover of Peter Siddle. But the point is, is that Darcy's taken it to new and important lengths in, in the last, uh, I guess, couple of months in the Twitter sewer. And I think that now that we are 365 days away, Jeff, from 
the 10th anniversary of the Peter Siddle birthday hat trick. We want to start the show today before we go into the live shows, before we go into the first test between Australia and Pakistan, England and New Zealand, India and Bangladesh, the Women's Big Bash League, the Marsh Cup final, Nerd Pledge and everything else. We want to start the campaign here and now loudly and proudly that next year we need to have an official Peter Siddle day. It, it should be a national holiday because he was playing for the Australian team. If, if we can't get it over the line nationally, surely we can at least get it uh, in Victoria. Premier Dan Andrews brought in the uh, AFL Grand Final holiday. <laughs> so why not Peter Siddle Day in Victoria? Uh, you know, the, no, no better Victorian, no better representative of the values of Victoria. Um, guaranteed the nicest man to have a Southern Cross tattoo, Peter Siddle. Um, you know, can, can chop down a tree if you need him to, but he'd need a good reason to do it. Uh, just the, the fact that he was, you know, jumping on the phone recording a video to send to Darcy Denner yes. on the internet just to say, I've been following your work and I appreciate it. You know, th- those are the little things that Peter Siddle will do that others will not. Yeah, I, I think you're right about it. If it's ever going to happen in any state of the Commonwealth <laughs> at any time in our nation's history, it's going to be now. Dan Andrews, the call is yours. I know that at a federal level, the opposition are going through a, a, an extensive policy review process after their election loss. Right. Maybe they should consider it as well. It's a populist mm. policy, but it's one that I think the punters will get behind. Peter Siddleday, and, next year, 10 years on, we have to pull it off. And, and what better way to celebrate Peter Siddleday or, or, or the vicinity of Peter Siddleday, even if it came a day before Peter Siddleday, Adam, than by taking a hat-trick as, as a bowler? What better way? I can guarantee there was no hat-trick in where I was, uh, nor was there one in, in uh, New Zealand. I'm scaring my brain as to whether there was one elsewhere because I've now... Well, there, was, well, there one may of not our, have been at the test match, oh, but there was definitely a hat-trick where, where I was playing on Sunday. Oh, I, here we go. Please go on. Uh, well, I mean, I'm just saying one of, one of the bowlers in the match that I was playing in took a hat-trick. Um, could you hazard to guess... Who it might have been? Logic would suggest that it can't be you, having watched you bowl several times. But it feels like that's where we're building up to here. Did you take a hat trick yesterday? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you bowling Not quite that on his birthday? Were, were you, but on the day before his birthday, <laughs> on the day before Peter Siddle Day, Jeff Lemon took a hat. Were you bowling that side um, wrist spin filth, or were you bowling your seam up uh, Paul well, Adams stuff? Uh, I was. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I can talk you through it if you want. Please. Uh, this, this was in the pub, the pub cricket league for the the mighty Dan O'Connell. Now, it's not in pub cricket. There's a there's an anomaly where you can't take a normal hat trick because there's a rule that you can't be out first ball, right? So the incoming batsman can't be dismissed first ball. So it was what's known as a pub cricket hat trick where you get someone out on that delivery, but they're not actually out, but then you get them out on the next delivery as well. Yep. So, so you've taken three... a hat trick where two batsmen were dismissed? Yes, I've taken a hat trick worth two wickets, but it's what's known as a pub cricket hat trick, um, where you know they can't they can't score off the delivery that they're they're sort of non dismissed off. You know, I just a dead ball. But I've always hated that rule when you're playing in kind of jazz cricket that yep. you can't get a player out first ball. I did do that many years ago in a game which was being 
weirdly televised and bold, um, bold, who was then the, the national correspondent for the Australian newspaper, Steve Lewis, first ball of the game, Channel 7 put it on the news that night with Lewis's stumps flying <laughs> everywhere. Uh, I'm sure he'll like the shout out for that. Um, in the parliamentary game, the game that, um, where Bob Hawke busted his glasses open in 1984. Uh, always used to love that day yeah. of the year. Anyway, um, so, but even so, the fact that you've been able to take a hat trick, Jeff, I mean, that is something you, you, I mean, you will, you will remember that forever, much like Peter Siddle. Yeah, and, and it, it, it's... Um, what were the modes I'm of dismissal? Work out what I was bowling. Well, because so I, I was bowling off breaks, actually. Um, and, <laughs> How can you bowl you off know, breaks when you ch- let the ball out like Malinga well, while your head's down? It's, off the wrong it's, leg. It's just about... It's about a lot of loop, right? So I, was, so I was floating them up and I was getting carted by this guy because I kept, they kept landing too short and because I'm tall, they bounce really high. So old mate was, was sort of stepping away and waiting and then pulling them down through fine leg. And, and I'd, I'd got, I, leaked, I think I went for four boundaries in an over, but we were, we were well on top in a run chase. Um, they were well behind the rate, so the captain said, go again. You know, he's, he's going to go after you, let's go again. And, and I got smacked for one more four and I thought, well, bugger this, I'll try the change up. So I bowled the wrist spinner and, and looped it and uh, the guy came down the pitch and tried to cart it over cover and missed it completely and got stumped. Um, so the first stumping of my career, which was a big moment. Um, and then the second one, I went back to the off breaks and he top edged it and the keeper ran around and, and did a lot of work and, and took a catch off the top edge. Um, and then the third one, he went back to try to smash it and knocked his own stumps over with the bat. So I got a hit wicket. A hat trick for the hat trick ball. Stumps caught hit and a hit wicket. Oh, that's special. There's a lot going on here. Well, hang on. You're the modern day Jack Iverson, the mystery spinner. He didn't play his five test matches until he was the same age you are now, 36. So there's some, there, there's, there are some parallels. Your, your, your hopes of wearing home. the baggy green aren't completely over yet. He couldn't field. <laughs> you, you can't run. Uh, there, yep. there are different no. things that, that, that sit side by side big Ivo yeah couldn't, couldn't Jeff Lemon. I made an eight ball duck yesterday but I, <laughs> I took a hat trick after that so how did um how did the uh surely the Dan O'Connell I mean I hope you didn't have to buy beer all night they looked after you no no I was very well looked after um as as always so you know you, you have your moments you have your ups and your downs and you never know when you've just been carted for five boundaries in seven balls whether you're about to pick up three and three. Oh, this is beautiful well I, I love the fact we've got a nice little tie in just on hat tricks before we round out the conversation uh, Alex Abel who listens to the show worked out that I I've been now to have a many I think it's 118 test matches and yet to see a test hat trick and he did the maths on that that there's an 84% chance that I would have seen one by now so I like that um mm-hmm. that uh, that's in keeping with the real nerd pledge theme of the show so thanks Alex for working that out uh, and sending it through during the uh, during the Brisbane Test match but crucially when we're ever going to talk about hat-tricks it's always going to be a Peter Siddle on his birthday 2010 and next year in 2020 the campaign starts here Peter Siddle Day to be recognised in a formal way maybe by Cricket Australia maybe by the state government maybe by the federal government certainly by the final word what a great place to start the show Jeff oh, couldn't have got it off to a better start <laughs> Um, speaking of bloody good starts, uh, Australia's test summer, I think our predictions last week almost came true entirely in that we thought Pakistan wouldn't be able to match Australia with the bat and they'd go around a bit with the ball and, well, it, it, yeah, it fell into that very familiar pattern of touring teams um, who have came to Australia in, in recent years, not even just recent years. I mean, you look at Pakistan, they've only ever won four test matches in Australia, which 
when mm. you consider their their their, their hold over the Aussies when when they're playing at home seems ridiculous. But um, yes, the the memories of twelve months ago when India came here and, and thrashed the Aussies on home soil are, are slowly being forgotten. I think they've got their act together. Yeah, well. I, I'm pretty sure what you said last week was that Australia would probably make 600 and, lo and behold, 580. Yeah, um, it wasn't far away. Enough, I'd say. So it, it, it was it was that classic Gabba test match, isn't it, where a, a visiting side gets pulverised. Oh, um, oh, sorry, Jeff, I'm going to have to cut in here. We're going to come to England, New Zealand in a minute. Jofra Archer is the ninth wicket to fall in real time. He's just played a hook shot off Wagner, as you do, and hold out to Matt Henry at deep fine legs. England are one wicket away from being beaten. By the time you listen to this, they will be beaten. But I couldn't miss that. He's just... Why is he playing a hook shot off Wagner? Why is he doing this? Why did yep. he do that? Why um, did he do that? Because it's Joffre Archer style. He just, you know, does why he did wants. he play that sweep shot against Nathan Lyon at, at Headingley when, when he was trying to <laughs> get Ben Stokes home? He's like, oh, I think I'll just pop this over the man in the deep physics. Uh, you're batting for a draw and you're like, no, I think I might play the hook shot of a bunch. So, oh, it's an ugly you know, replay too. It's an absolutely fugly replay. We'll come back to that game in a sec. But um, yes, as I kind of said before, Jeff, the, Australia having their top six together, uh, you, you kind of feel like, I mean, Jeff, you, no one could have argued the, the corner of Joe Burns more fervently than you during the English summer. And Fantastic that he was able to deliver on that. A nervous start, which will be forgotten. But mm. uh, he just has a way of accumulating big scores consistently. And not every player yeah, has quite, that knack. Quite an aggressive start. That, I thought that was the interesting bit. Is that yeah. Warner was circumspect early, left a lot, um, left the ball angling across him a lot. Burns was the one who was playing pull shots and um, going after the spinner, coming down the wicket, hitting down the ground, and, and sort of settled his nerves by playing the attacking role and then settled back into that longer occupation but it's interesting when you look at his numbers so three three of the top 44 i think it was biggest ever partnerships in australian history have been joe burns with players down the order with with numbers three four or five yep you know massive partners 300 plus with travis head he's put on huge partnerships with smith and and with uh with kawaja so he's that kind of opener who can stay there while others lower in the order do their job whereas warner tends to make a ton of in be the first out. But Sorry, I've got, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to cut in again. Wagner's picked up broad okay. first balls. He would have otherwise been on a hat trick, but it's test oh. match over. New Zealand have got the job done. Sorry to cut you off, but wow. Stuart Broad getting... And Stuart Broad, Stuart Broad being the... Um, anyway, you know the parallels. You know where I'm going with this. They're yeah. going to go through the DRS, as they did on this day nine years ago when Broad day. sent it upstairs. But just as it was the case on this date in history of the 25th of November 2010. It will be certain that Broad, having been hit on the full in front of middle stump, will be confirmed as out and Wagner won't get the chance. He was hit on the full nine years ago. He was. It's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? Sorry, Jeff. You're talking about Joe Burns. I shouldn't have cut you off. No, no. You should have. You absolutely should have. The time was right because if only um, this Broad wicket were the third in a sequence rather than the second, you know, what... Wagner would have had a Wagner, Wagner would have had a, a Peter Siddle birthday hat trick, which you know. Yeah. Yep, it's confirmed. It's getting middle stump at the base of middle stump. You're rarely going to see a DRS analysis um, quite as pronounced as that. So England have lost their first Test match in Mount Monganui. How about that? By what an innings and sixty five. An innings and yeah. plenty. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. An innings and sixty five. New Zealand. 
made 615 and then declared at nine down. It's always galling when the opposition get nine down and then say, no, we're not going to let you bowl us out. I promise we'll come so, back to that, but we should talk about Burns and Warner and Labuschagne and the fast yeah. bowlers and all the rest of it first. Well, you know, so Australia did let Pakistan bowl them out eventually. That was a, a slight curiosity that they batted on so long, given Pakistan only made 240 in the first innings, and that was largely a rearguard from our man, Asad Shafiq, who played really well, made 76, and, um, you know, that followed on from that 100 he made at the Gabba on the last two, 137, yep. I think it was. That time, um, he batted well with Mohammad Rizwan, who was unlucky to get given out to what probably should have been a no ball from Pat Cummins but you know the 240 might have been enough if they bowled really well but I thought what what stood out with the Berner Warns partnership was just how quickly it's it looked impregnable you know they batted through that first session to lunch which Pakistan had also done but the Australians put on twice as many runs in that time mm. and not in a risky way they were just turning the strike over constantly so there was very rarely more than three or four balls at one batsman They'd always find a one somewhere, um, and they were finding twos and threes as well. So the scoreboard was moving, the strike was changing, the field was swapping from left to right, and Pakistan never got the chance to settle, and the batsmen didn't let them settle. So that Burns and Warner partnership with 222, the classic Richie Benno partnership, uh, was so important. And then I thought that the thing that stood out with Manus was doing what Kawaja did four years ago in, in the same fixture against New Zealand was coming in and punching the bruise where that your first drop has to be the the player who can really push home the ascendancy when it's there you know not come in with a big start and then fail but but come in and and go really big he didn't just make a hundred but he went on and made a massive hundred as well yeah there are some nice links back to that test match at the Gabba four years ago that's when Burns and Warner first came together at the top of the list they put on two big partnerships there Warner made centuries in both innings and Burns made his first test hundred he didn't go on the three figures on that occasion but Kawaja as you mentioned his first time was after having made it to 50 a truckload of times but um, was never able to quite get over the line until that point Labashain was getting, a, a, you know, deservedly or otherwise, a bit of a reputation for not having made a test time, which I think is unfair given how effective he was in England and how he held things together alongside Stephen Smith. But, um, you know, monkey off the back, if you like, and um, did it in style. It was a yeah. flawless innings for the most part uh, and just looks every bit... I mean, not every really bit. monkey off the back, was it? Well, only, I mean, I, you know, I only, thought... only on the basis that he'd made it to 50 five or six times and, yeah. you know, only because it was becoming a talking point. the test matches in England, those were tests where 50 could win you a test match. Yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying it's my argument, but it games. certainly was part of the conversation yeah. that it's time for Labuschagne to shift gears and be a match winner and make centuries and all the rest of it. So yeah. the fact that he was able to do that in the first innings of the summer is significant of itself, mm. going on to make 185. Just going back a wee bit to Pakistan's first innings, I'm really glad the Rizvan thing happened the way that it did, not because I wanted him to fall. I think he was super impressive in both innings. Yeah. Uh, um, in the first innings to, um, to push back at the point where Australia were about to steamroll them, probably helped get them an extra 40 or 50 runs in addition to his own runs just by... Like, stopping the flow of wickets. I think they took uh, Australia took 5 for 12 before he walked out to the middle at number 7 and suddenly he kind of gave um, players around him a bit of confidence, principally Shafiq. But the fact that it was genuinely back page news that the front foot no balls fucked um, and the fact that now the ICC, who have committed to doing a trial after the cricket committee meeting um, of, of I think it was May or June this year, it all kind of blends into one month <laughs> for all those days we were in England uh, during uh, the mm. World Cup and Ashes. But alas, the 
the Create Committee have uh, signed off on there being a bunch of trials using similar technology to what they did in 2016. We've talked about it on the show many, many times, but uh, hopefully um, we're getting to the stage mm. where it'll be common sense and logical to move the responsibilities for the front foot noble to the TV umpire. Um, that'll be beyond doubt. And, you know, this Cummins incident might be the final straw as far as making the case to the public because it just looks so ridiculous. And when you, I mean, well, there's a lot of no balls. I hope that, so, because h- how many times can we have the conversation and the fact that, you know, Trent Copeland's work on Channel 7 where he went through all the footage and pulled up all of the no balls that hadn't been called in that. Mm. So across two sessions of cricket, there were 21 no balls that weren't called. So, and, and half of them were in the over where the wicket eventually fell, that where uh, Nassim Shah was, That's right. you know, had bowled, I think, three balls. He'd overstepped three times, two or three times in that over and then overstepped on the wicket ball. Now, you know, of course you can say that a bowler should be behind the line, but they don't, they're not looking at their front foot. So if they're landing and they're not being called, they think they're landing right, and then they find out that they're not. Yeah, it, it, all, all angles of this are accurate. Is it fair to the bowler? Uh, no. Is it the bowler's fault? Yes. Uh, is it unfair? In any case, yes, it is still. Uh, by that I mean uh, this is beyond the point of attributing blame. Uh, it's, it's not about trying to say that the central umpire aren't doing a good enough job. It's not about saying fast bowlers need to just get behind the bloody line. We got back behind the line back in our day when it was the back foot no ball rule yeah. and, and and so forth. It's, it's applying a common sense um, solution to a problem that's plaguing Test cricket, and has done so mm. since um, you know ten, for ten years. Since we had the ability to review front foot no balls retrospectively, um, this has been an ongoing bugbear. It's always been ugly when they've called batsmen back. I'm not saying they shouldn't call batsmen back, um, but this has been you know increasingly an annoyance. Um, and and now we know how to fix it. Uh, I'm glad that we had two episodes. And gee, Nassim Shah, um, you know, earning the wicket only for it to be taken back. That's the third time in Australia uh, a player on debut has taken a wicket, their first test wicket, only for it to be overturned. Uh, Michael mm. Beer at Sydney in that same Ashes series where Siddle took his hat trick. Um, Tom Curran a couple of years ago on Boxing Day in front of like 91,000 people, a wonderful sort of Ashes moment, um, but only for it to be uh, recalled, you know, whatever it was, two minutes later. And now for Nassim Shah suffering the same fate. The game can do better, and hopefully now it will do better. Yeah, and I don't think it was a case where fast bowlers used to stay behind the line because Wazza Makram was talking on the TV commentary about he was saying he used to bowl no balls all the time, which he didn't necessarily know while he was bowling them because umpires didn't call him either. Mm. Um, and, And he asked some umpires why they didn't call him because he'd pick up on footage that he was overstepping and they would say well your arm action's too fast we can't look at your foot and then look up in time to make a a decision at the other end so we watch Mm. the other end so it's been going on for a long time you know when you can see the line of the line of sight like i mean it's it's um it's uh i mean they have they have the camera you can see the umpires aren't looking and i don't blame them after what happened to umpire Illingworth uh, in, where were we? Uh, Wellington. Uh, Wellington. Going back a few years now when Voges was bowled on seven um, to Doug Bracewell. It was called as a no-ball on the field. It wasn't a no-ball. Voges goes on to make 230-something and New Zealand lose the test match on the back of that decision. Now, 
obviously a lot of other things occur and as you said um, mm. quite rightly after the Leeds test match you, you can't rewrite um, rewrite uh, you can't use one event to to, um, to write history but still that was pivotal a turning point in that match and uh, and that's mm. what was, the catalyst was for bringing in the trial in England in 2016 it went really well I interviewed Jeff Allardyce at the time the ICC's cricket boss and he said that this was going to be rolled out everywhere you know three and a half years on we're only just getting to the stage where they're doing a second trial they they signed uh, money concerns in 2017 when I chased them up about this but um, I mean which obviously sounded like bullshit then it sounds like bullshit now and my conspiracy theory is the TV umpire quite likes not doing an awful lot and asking them to do you know this 600 times in a in a test match day isn't particularly appetizing but the other point here Jeff is that why don't we have a specialist TV umpires anyway if you apply the logic that uh, using the technology using the TV uh, and all the various different bits and pieces are different to being a central umpire. Why don't we have central umpires in one pool and TV umpires who are experts in the technology in a separate pool, which, you know, I don't see why it's just simply the case that if you're on the elite panel and you're the spare bloke that week, you sit up in the TV booth. So uh, I, I hope this, you know, brings on a broader rethink about how we use these officials and make sure we get to better outcomes more consistently. Yep. I could not agree more. Uh, a fair bit of conversation around the Gabba and the use of it for the first test of the summer and the Australian record there and, and all of that and some uh, fairly snarky, satirical comments from Tim Payne after the test as well. <laughs> yeah, so Payne said he'll ask, or well, they'll ask for permission as to whether they can play a test match at Brisbane next year. It was all, you know, very, I guess, in tongue-in-cheek and a bit of fun and, and all the rest of it. And might also be a kernel of truth to that as well, but um, what Coley thinks might might carry the day at BCCI headquarters when they're in those negotiations with Cricket Australia. But, yeah, there are, there are other questions to ask about the Gabba. There were 13,000 there on day one, day two, day three. I think there was 5,000 there on day four. That's been fairly consistent when it's not been a day-night test match and not been an Ashes test match. Um, so, look, the, how, these are questions, these are debates that are being had about the Gabba as a venue and, and whether it does need a, more than a lick of paint to improve it as a place to go for spectators. And um, that's, of course, um, offset against the fact that Australia is so successful there. So the Cross River Rail project and the state government um, have been talking about how that will open up options to redevelop the stadium mm. um, going forward but that won't be ready for next year uh, and that's where the focus will be India that's five play, years away i think yeah that's right 2024 india, india play next year in australia in the world test championship and tim payne clearly wants to start that campaign off at a ground where they haven't lost since 1988 uh, and whether they're successful or not in getting that outcome Cause if they do play the first test in brisbane who misses out it's not an easy puzzle to solve Mm. And, uh, you know, your, your other part of that puzzle is that you've got Afghanistan being the fifth test of the summer, meaning that, well, they'll play first, but there's no possibility to use a smaller venue like Hobart or Canberra for Afghanistan. They have to have one of the main five venues. So it's a matter of, you know... It's, with all due respect, whoever hosts that test would probably feel shortchanged because they're likely to get smaller crowds and, you know, quite possibly a, a shorter duration. Um, yeah. Well, well, there's sorry, a bit to I pluck from that. Lose to India in two days. There's a bit to pluck from that. So one thing to say is that um, Kevin Roberts on the SEN coverage noted in his interview with Jared Whateley that... Um, Brisbane could theoretically still open the the test summer next year against Afghanistan. Now, I was at the press conference today at the uh, at AB Field with the uh, 
Cricket Australia's new um, high-performance boss, Ben Oliver, and he had it put to him by one of the Brisbane TV journos that it'd be, like, insulting to Brisbane if they had to host Afghanistan, if you like. And But that that is obviously one option. Dan Bredig from Crick Info uh, made a good point the other day, though. W- wouldn't uh, an elegant solution to that be using AB Field for the Test match against Afghanistan, a more intimate venue? It's hosted lots mm. of first-class cricket. It's a beautiful place. Um, they're not going to get crowds which would exceed... Um, the capacity of that and we could sort of change the conversation a little bit around Brisbane um, if, if they choose not to use it for the India series but th- there'll be uh, enormous pushback from the players if that is the case because for whatever reason uh, this venue suits Australian test teams down to the ground Yeah but their argument is that we always start the summer at the Gabba which would not be the case because they play Afghanistan first so if you want to start the summer at the Gabba you have to play Afghanistan there you can't say we want to start the series against India at the Gabba because that's not how it works and and if you if you do that then Afghanistan's probably playing in Perth which um, you know could be carnage on the the fast bouncy wicket over there so there's no real easy solution, though. No, no. But I can't see I them. Can, can, can you see? Can you imagine a scenario where Perth Stadium, within you know, within a couple of Peter Hudson flat punts from the casino, is not going to get a Test match against India next year? I mean, I just can't I, forget about the crowd. Forget about the stadium politics. I mean, look at the way that look at the the ecosystem of where board directors come from and the relationships they have with each other and and so forth. Can you yeah. seriously imagine a ground that close to Crown is not going to have a Test match? Of course it is. Well, it'll have a test match, but you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, a, I mean, the, you know, a high profile. Te- that'll have a high profile test match forever. Um, you know, the relationships there are, are too deeply embedded. I'm not saying CA and Crown per se, but there's not many board directors in Australia. They're all in the same gene pool. They're all in the same dinner clubs, so to speak, mm. um, lunch clubs, I should yep. say. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I can't imagine them missing out. Adelaide won't miss out, and Melbourne and Sydney booked themselves. So unless the players somehow. Um, can get their way. I, you know, I think it feels like the most likely scenario yeah. kind of is that Brisbane would end up hosting Afghanistan, which would be quirky, given that Australia have such a formidable record at the Gabba. And it would be a day-nighter, so there'd be ball movement. You know, it would. It could be a, a pretty grim couple of days for Afghanistan up there. Yeah. But the one thing about this story that seems weird to me is that you we've heard people say ever since that India series that India refused to play in Brisbane. Yeah. I haven't actually seen or heard anything that backs that up as, as evidence uh, or as a fact. My understanding of it was that India were refusing to play a day night test and therefore like India had to play at Adelaide because Adelaide was a high drawing venue. Therefore the day night test had to go somewhere else. And the only place it could go was Brisbane. So India couldn't play at Brisbane. That was my understanding of it. And therefore Sri Lanka ended up playing that day nighter at Brisbane. Yeah. Or, or but, I guess, you know, I guess Perth, there's no evidence either way. Yeah. Well, Perth could have hosted the day night test on the basis that it suits better for the Indian TV market. You think about it, uh, that might've been an elegant way of doing it but i mean yeah i mean i guess that's all in the past now looking forward but india it, weren't going to play a day night test they didn't want to play no no no, a pink I, ball I, no, game, no i understand so. that but i mean in the in the event that they had have agreed to a pink ball test it could have been it it could have been at perth as well the sri lanka test could have been at perth yeah i guess that would have been the more logical way of doing that but that was never I, going to happen because they i think it to. might i mean it could have been but that perth stadium hadn't even hosted a game yet so i think they were pretty 
they, they would have been reluctant about bringing a new True. element to it where the Gabba was a venue where they'd already played one against Pakistan. They, it, it was mm. tried and tested. It had had its, its run and therefore they knew they could put it at Adelaide. They knew they could put it at the Gabba and they couldn't really, you know, they didn't have that same confidence about anywhere else. So, yeah. you know, that's more how I'd read it than that, that India were sending through a schedule that they were, you know, that they decided what venues they were playing. Yeah, either way, I, I think it's uh, kind of interesting <laughs> the pain frames that the way they did yesterday about, you know, we'll see what Brat says. We, we talked on the show a few weeks ago about Sarav Ganguly becoming the new boss of the BCCI at board level uh, and mm. having said that Virat's the most important person in Indian cricket, not him. Um, so maybe there's some, like I say, maybe a bit of a, a kernel of truth to, to all of that that it might hinge one way or the other on, on what Coley thinks. But, I mean, and we'll come to this, but he's had success against the pink ball under lights at the first time of asking at Calcutta this week, so maybe that'll help inform that decision. I mean, had he failed, had he made a first ball duck, <laughs> by contrast, it, it might have gone the other way. Yeah, well, exactly, and you know we we might come back to that later. But he played yep. really well in that day night test and and looked terrific for his twenty seventh test hundred. But we should get to the end of the Australia Pakistan game, I suppose. Um, the last day bowling from Cummins and Hazelwood, particularly in that morning session, I really enjoyed. They were absolutely fierce against Babar Azam, but he didn't let them get on top of him he managed to to get through bat through uh, that difficult period and then prospered later against Stark and Lyon and went on to make his second test hundred and his first in Australia which felt like a really significant moment yeah I think in five years time when we talk about this test match if we talk about this test match it'll be for the Barbara's arm uh, fourth day ton not for Australia bowling out Pakistan you know twice it was a fantastic rear guard on that final day when all looked lost they were 315 runs in arrears when they lost their third wicket in the second dig they were staring down the barrel of their biggest ever loss against Australia in fact that would have been the most likely outcome the collapse looked well and truly on but um, Barbara Azam and Mohammad Rizvan dictated otherwise Rizvan's a, a real likely type that's his third international yeah. well his third significant score against Australia two tons in the one day as back in was it March or April before the World Cup mm. uh, the you know the, the, the 37 off 34 in the first dig 95 at a really decent lick in the second dig as a counter-attacking hand ultimately was out down at deep backward point on the boundary which said a bit yeah. about the way that he plays Classic. the game but he's punchy <laughs> he, yeah, he's a punchy uh, keeper bat I really enjoyed watching him play and, and I think they've almost in, in, in the space of one test match the decision to remove Safraz has been justified uh, I would say a younger man who um, looks like he's got all the component parts to be a, a real contributor for a while he has a fantastic first class record he made two centuries to start the year in Pakistan um, before coming out to Australia so well played um, giving him that opportunity and yeah Barbara Azam was just utter class we know he can be we have talked about Barbara Azam I feel like so many times in his um, middling test record mm. but breaking through against that attack I mean Ben Jones made the point Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, Lyon, the Gabatois you know, second innings, 100, like that, That that's it's considerable. That's a real thing. Um, it's a real achievement. Yeah. It wasn't quite the breakthrough that it was portrayed as, though, because he's been averaging 50 over the last two years. It's not like he's only just figured out how to bat in test cricket. He's, oh, been, he's made runs in England. Well, yeah, yeah, yes and no. Africa. I mean, look at the way that he played. Um, in, look at the way that he got himself out in the first innings. It looked like a white ball dismissal, throwing his hands at a full delivery, yeah. set up beautifully. I mean, it just felt like... It, you could be excused for like watching that first innings, yet. and not, maybe not just not adjusted, but whether he had the mental application to transition his game in the longer term against high-end attacks and so forth. But look, he, he clearly does. 
uh, and and is you know how to what extent you can, you can say that's been proved by making you know he's made fifties at three different grounds in South Africa and you know Joburg and Cape Town. Um, he's made he's made runs at Lords. He's made lots of runs against good attacks at home as well or in the in the UAE. So I just thought that it's it's more that. There have been a lot of people who haven't been paying attention to Babar Azam over the last couple of years as a Test match player, and the idea that he's not up to it is is probably a couple of years out of date. Well, That's not not, a, not up to it's last one thing. time he was here in twenty sixteen. Not up to it's one thing, but if you've played twenty two Test matches with his capacity and made one hundred, had he walked away and not made a century yesterday, if you had put yourself at number six in the team sheet as well, like serious players don't bat. Mm. Like if you're the best player on your team, he, I know he came out at five in both innings, but he was listed at six. He was going to bat six. They changed their mind um, they, to promote him ahead of Iftikhar. Um, look, I, I think that the the performance in Brisbane was really important. It was really important because um, we've seen a lot of cricketers over the years make lots of important half centuries in, in context and so forth. But going on and 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 dominating an attack the way that he did yesterday, um, he was superb uh, and. As I said before, it was the attack, it was the state of the game, it was the conditions, it was the you know the bouncing ball, all the rest of it, uh, and he delivered big time. Uh, and you could see by the way he responded. I mean, it was an incredible response to um, from him. Um, I mean, more than usual for someone making a century. This meant an awful lot to him. So, more power to Barbara Zahm. Let's hope that this week in Adelaide he can um, turn it on again because he's an absolute joy uh, to watch. And I'm, I'm hopeful. I think we're all hopeful that he can kick on and, and be the sort of player that Pakistan can build a, a serious test team around for the next generation because they did get to the top of the world a couple of years ago but the bulk of that side are no longer there so hopefully um, this is the start of something and uh, and we were there to see it in Brisbane this week uh, the last thing I'd just add Jeff on, on the fast bowler stuff is that it, it's a bit quirky isn't it that Josh Hazelwood and Pat Cummins were so good together opening the bowling in England across four test matches so Lords through to the Oval uh, even at the Oval, really, they, they bowled superbly together with the new ball, and yet they were the ones sharing first change duties. And Mitchell Stark got given the opportunity, and I appreciate that Stark's record in Australia is far better than it is away from home, and he's, he's always been the new ball bowler, and there's lots of arguments back and forth, but it just seemed a bit odd to me that they didn't give it to the two guys who, who'd done it so well. I suppose, in a way, it's a, a good problem to have, but, um, yeah, that, that, that was a change from the England summer. Yeah, I suppose I've seen Stark take so many wickets really early in the spell you know remember that 2016 Sri Lanka tour where he he kept doing it in his first over just about Mm. I reckon it's worth the roll of the dice to give him maybe three overs you know two or three overs at the top and see if the ball swings he can get you two wickets quickly Mm. and then you can still go back to your sort of premier seam bowler who's going to land it on the seam and move it with the ball that's basically still new um, mm, and, mm. and almost have two cracks at it. So it's not the same as giving it to a bowler who's going to bowl six or seven overs on the spin um, in your sort of classic opening bowler style. It might be more like a um, Stark's almost a bonus card to be played up front, but you don't keep him on for a long spell. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. And they can, you know, they showed that, didn't they? They were willing to toss the ball around early on, but 
Um, it didn't really matter. They took 18 of the 20 wickets between the three of them. Lyon picked up one in each innings, but it was a demolition job, really, when you consider the, um, you know, the, the sort of, uh, the, when you're trying to work out who the first choice Australian attack is, um, in a way, it was probably a good thing that Australia didn't know who their best trio was in England because they kept mm. changing it. And for the most part, it worked with the exception of the final test match where Siddle got injured in his first over. The, the rotation worked really nicely and, and seemed to suit the conditions on each occasion. I know they didn't get the job done in Leeds but they did bowl him out for 67 in the first dig. Like, it wasn't as though uh, the bowling was a complete failure in, mm. in that test match and, of course, the, the Ben Stokes miracle and all the rest of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, whether they introduce James Pattinson this week or whether they keep the same trio, um, yeah, I, it, it'll be interesting because I know they were certainly keen to go with the squad thing, but maybe now they, they change it up and just go with a, what is the good thing and see whether they can get through this series with the same four bowlers. I think they stick with the same three for this test and, you know, you potentially look at changing when the workload has started to stack up. But I'll tell you what was a real joy this last week was just having test cricket basically around the clock. Yeah. You know, you wake up in the morning, the New Zealand test against England would already have started. Um, a couple of hours into that, you switch over to Brisbane <laughs> and then once they finished, India started playing Bangladesh in, in Calcutta. So it, it was a lot of fun watching the England-New Zealand test unfold from a distance without having to watch every ball because I just got the sense from the English college colleagues of ours who were over there that you know they were all groaning in pain basically as they watched BJ Watling bat for about four days. Yeah I mean we nearly got around to 24-hour test cricket I think there's one time during the year that you can pull that off when there's a test going on in South Africa a test going on in yeah. Australia and a test going on at New Zealand all at the same time I think we then get 24-hour cricket occasionally anyway uh, yeah it was lovely um there was good following i know the new zealand test being played at the same time as the australian test i mean i haven't watched tons of it but i certainly was following the scores pretty closely and bj watling it's his eighth test ton we don't talk a lot about him as one of the sort of premier wicketkeeper bats on the world but in the world rather but we i think we will now um what an amazing mm. um powers of concentration that he must be able to draw down onto bat for what turned out to be 473 deliveries so you know, 205 combining with Mitchell Santner for a couple of hundred there yesterday. I think they went through two and a half sessions where England didn't take a wicket. They kept them out in the field for 201 overs. Fantastic response. Mm. Um, after getting bowled out themselves, England, this is for 353. They were then out in the field for, you know, over two days, complete exhaustion, and they get rolled for 197. They weren't able to make New Zealand bat a second time. And and uh, Wagner, 5 for 44, was the outstanding bowler there after Santner took three wickets. On the, on the on the fourth afternoon. So, the, I mean, it's not a test being played in the World Test Championship, which is quirky to say the least and drew a lot of scrutiny this mm. week. But I think from an Australian perspective, isn't it fantastic that New Zealand are coming out here for their first Boxing Day test match in, what is it, must be over 30 years at a time when you could probably build the case that this is one of the, the best New Zealand teams ever. I mean, you go through it and, you, you, I mean, you've got, obviously, they're led by Kane Williamson is one of the, you know, you could, you could build the case that he's already just on the next rung, rung down beneath Stephen Smith and Virat Coley. He's kind of the logical number three. You've got bowlers of the capacity of Trent Bolt, Wagner. Um, you see how well Watling's going. Um, you know, they've, 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 uh, they've got a slew of match winners. De Granholm's been very consistent as their all-rounder. Henry Nichols is the number six batsman in, a world, in the world, rather, according to the ICC. Mm. Um, it's a pretty... And it's the experience of Ross Taylor and, and, and uh, Tim Southey, for that matter. I mean, this, this could be um, 
yeah, yeah, a far more, it should be rather a far more competitive series against New Zealand than it has been for quite a long time. Yeah, and Tom Latham as well. Tom He's Latham, yeah. done yep. a lot of good work over the last couple of years and after you know, some pretty patchy early years of his career has been able to bank the results. So it was Watling has, it's either the four or five longest innings by a New Zealand wicketkeeper oh, wow. um, that he's managed to produce in his in his career. Uh, his his innings in this match was the second longest by any keeper ever. It was um, uh, Brendan Karupa is uh, the only one to bat longer than he did for that 473 delivery. So he was out there for ten and a half hours or something. Amazing. Um, extraordinary yeah. stuff. Especially after, you know, England were quite positive after their first innings. They made 353. It was a decent score. They've often struggled to top 300 in recent years. You know, Stokes nearly got to a ton. Denley made runs. Burns made runs. Um, and they were quite upbeat, England, saying, hey, look, we've, we've, we've played proper test cricket. We haven't attacked the ball too much. We've you know, gone along at a, a relatively sedate clip, a lot of defensive um, batting. We've ground down bowlers. We've got up to a, a decent first inning score and put the pressure on New Zealand. And then New Zealand say, well, okay, we're going to bat for the next three days, thanks, champs, <laughs> um, and go on to make 600. So it's the, the psychological power of that, of, of taking a, a team when they think they're actually going pretty nicely and then just dumping them on their heads is pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really impressive performance. So they moved to their second test match That in a couple of days' time. It's, it's on the same days that the Australia-Pakistan series are being played. So that'll be beginning on Friday. I'm not sure where the second test match is. It's probably at Wellington. Um, I assume it's at Wellington. That's where um, New Zealand uh, usually uh, play their, their the majority of their tests when they're two-test series. Mm. Um, but in any case, it's not in the World Test Championship. That that's been probably one of the more prominent talking points around this, isn't it? That people can't quite comprehend why it isn't being included. And that's because the England-New Zealand series for the WTC will be played in England as one of their home series. So you can have test right. matches that sit outside of it, but equally it, it, it does seem weird. I, I get why people are like, what's going on here? How come there's, a, there's, two, there's three test matches going on and one of them just doesn't count for points? It, it's odd. Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, in the meantime... India racking up crazy numbers of points by winning a lot of um, series at home. Well, yeah, they're up to what? They must be up to 360 points now. So, um, Pakistan. I've got no idea. I can't, I can't even tell how the point system works. Yeah, well, I know, I know. I think I read that it's 360. So, Pakistan haven't got a point yet. And India have already galloped out to, to that amazing tally, having beaten Bangladesh in the space of two and a half days. They rolled them for 106 mm. in the first innings. They made 347 for nine declared with the Kohli century. And then Ishant Sharma went to work for the second time in the test match and bowled them out for 195. Ishant finished with five in the first dig, four in the second dig. A journeyman, but still, he's only 32 years of age or something like that. Um, we think of him as being much older yeah. because he started at age 19, but um, he, he's still got plenty of life in him. How good is it to live in a world where Ishant Sharma is a tearaway, damaging spearhead, you know, running in, booming swing, pace? He was... It, it sort of turned into a bit of a joke for a few years there because he yeah. was... You know, he'd, he'd trundle in and he'd bowl sort of military meds and he just didn't seem to have any zip. Um, and And I remember finding him quite comical for a while, but I've sort of realised since that 
it was because he was having to carry that entire bowling attack mm, on his right. own for a few years. They just didn't have any quicks. And so he had he was trying to do every job at once. He was trying to contain. He was trying to bowl dry. He was trying to do the pressure stuff. He was trying to bowl with the new ball and take wickets. All of it was on him, and it was him and then some spinners. And the you know the the standard of the next two or three quicks down, the ones who would sort of come and tour Australia or whatever it is, just wasn't there. They just weren't good enough. And then there were sort of young players like Umesh coming through before they'd become really good bowlers. So the difference between Ishant Sharma then and now when he's got three or four really quality quicks surrounding him, now he can be his best self. And, mm. and that's been quite joyful, I think, to see him um, transcend that in that, that era where he could be mocked and, and turn it on its head and say, well, no, no, this is it. Remember me from 19. I'm a serious bowler. Oh, I'm, and I'm really happy for Yumesh Yadav, who's a bit of a forgotten man of the Indian attack. We, we spend so much time discussing uh, Boomerah and Shami and, um, you know, uh, the aforementioned Ishant Sharma and usually the, the fourth bowler that gets talked about now in that conversation is... Is Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, and and out of the conversation drops Umesh Yadav, who two or three years ago was leading the attack. So he takes eight wickets in this test and gets himself uh, back in lights again with the pink ball. It's kind of quirky seeing a test match in India where you've got three frontline quicks and a spinner. You would never see that uh, from the home side, but that was how they set up, and they did the job easily. That was at Eden Gardens, a ground which hasn't had as much love when it comes to test cricket in recent years as it may have a generation or so ago. So I'm, I'm glad to see uh, that they did a good job hosting that test match although um, one of the main talking points from it Jeff and I know you watched it a bit more closely than I did was that there were two uh, concussion subs required for the Bangladesh side in the second innings which um, I mean, we saw that um, that option uh, taken by the Australians at Lords with Marnus Labuschagne when Smith was hit uh, during the Ashes but yeah, twice in the space of a short window of time uh, is, is certainly something that um, well look I'm glad, put it this way I'm glad they had the option yeah well it, it's shows you how significant the new ruling has been because it, it's been required a bunch of times in a pretty short space of time and you know that that shows you that it, it, it might have been a bit belated coming in but at least it's there now and at least it can be used. Before we wrap up the conversation about India and Bangladesh, we have to reflect on Kohli, Jeff, and his remarkable record, which just gets more staggering by the week, it feels, is 70th Test his 70th international 100 I should say 27th in test matches 20th as captain of the Indian test side he's got 41 as captain of India in all formats which brings him level with Ricky Ponting um, he's 100 away from equaling Ponting's tally of international centuries which was 71 which will leave just Sachin Tendulkar ahead of him on an even 100 which should, I mean he'll probably get next week they'll be playing somewhere soon enough I'm sure and, yeah. and that will take <laughs> care of that next uh, notch he, he's going to make a hundred hundreds he's going to make 150 hundreds the way this is going I mean he's got such a long career ahead of him he's only 30 years old or something like that um even though he's 31 31 right so you look at you look at the way that that Tendulkar sort of huffed and puffed and wheezed and staggered over that line to get the hundred hundreds where he probably played on for two or three extra years just to make sure he got to the milestone Mm. you know Coley's 31 and he looks like he'll stroll there in the next three years the, the way that he's going at the moment so it's the, the volume is extraordinary the concentration and the ability to switch formats the fact that he averages above 50 in all three formats no one averages above 50 in T20 cricket it's him and Bubba Azam that's it, it, it to do that in the shortest format and then to do it in the longest as well uh, 54 in test cricket 60 in one day cricket mm. it's 
frankly ridiculous. And I think when you have conversations about who's the best cricketer in the world, no one's got that adaptability across formats, and that makes the um, that makes the conversation a, a closed um, c- conclusion. Yeah, Jeff, before we just take a breather, Sanjay Mandraker uh, versus Harshad Bogle on the call. I know we're not the oh, most... Oh, God, what I know, was that? I know we're not the most objective um, when it comes to Harsha. We love him. He's a friend of ours. But fuck me, Sanjay um, getting on and basically saying that Harsha wouldn't know what he's talking about because he didn't play professional cricket. It's one of the most tired and boring lines that you hear from, occasionally hear from former players and that... Mandraker elected to run that line at Harsha Bogle of all people. Um, well, it, it didn't work out too well for him on social media at the very least. Yeah, like how do you take someone who is one of the most respected and liked and appreciated commentators on the sport in the world and then when you are not one of the most respected and liked and appreciated commentators in the world, you think, I'm just going to line him up because he... Well, you know, they were having a discussion about whether the pink ball was hard to see and Mm. and Harsha Bogle was saying, well, we should ask the players and have a a serious Mm. review after this match to to see what they have to say. And Mandrake is saying, we don't need to ask them. We already know that it's fun to see. And Harsha is saying, well, what's the harm in asking? And and Mandrake is saying, well, uh, those of us who played the game don't need to ask these questions. You know, that classic sort of brush off but to do that on live tv to a professional colleague is incredibly poor form and um well like if he's getting a backlash then it's well deserved yeah it was classily handled by harsher as you would expect i reckon that's about enough talking about the torrent of test cricket this week let's have a breather and come back in a tick hi i'm brian Roddle. you're listening to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins Jeff, before moving into part two of the show, uh, we said last week that we're, we're having a really good time working with future talent at the moment, and you've just received a parcel in the mail, another batch of Jeff Lemon uh, cards, which we're going to be taking to the Adelaide show. It, it literally arrived at the front door as we were starting to record, so I, I haven't even um, hoed into it yet, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it live on the show. You get to hear the opening <laughs> of this envelope, which will probably be attended by a few celebrities. Right, while you tend to that, I'll note that the Future Talent Sports cards, uh, they've, got, they've made over 200,000 cards. They've been going for 10 years. Heath Evans, who runs the show there, um, he, he was at our live show the other week, and, or last week rather, and had the table set up, and people were able to see with their own eyes how good the product is. And as we noted on the last couple of episodes of the show, it, it isn't just about um, professionals having cards now. Thanks to Future Talent, um, you can use their service to uh, reward and recognise people at recreational sport level, but also other things as well, work Christmas dues, bucks nights, hens nights, whatever it is, you can use Future Talent's very creative service to make these bespoke sports cards, which are incredibly popular, um, not that expensive, and you can get a 15% deal by saying that you're part of the Final Word family, Jeff. You can. You just go to Future Talent's website and you put in Final Word Cricket or the Final Word. I think they both work. Yep. Look, if you can't figure it out, just email Heath. He'll be able to sort <laughs> it out. They're a, they're a small operation, so it's not hard to get through to the boss. But I have in my hand right now a hard, clear plastic case containing a stack of Adam Collins cards, co-host of The Final Word. <laughs> um, they're in resplendent with his bat and his 
uh, it, luckily it's not a fake baggy grain, otherwise I would have to roast you no. mercilessly. It was the SCG Trust baggy grain, wasn't it? There, it may well have been. Um, I, I can't read the insignia that well, but yep. you know, it's got all the information on the front. Um, so we've got your cards and my cards, which will be given away for free, a steal at the Adelaide show. So if that's not going to get you over the line, well, I don't know what will, because you can start your final word collector sets and, and we're, we're toying with the idea of doing a full set with all of the guests we've had on the show. So yeah, we, um, stay we, tuned. We saw Dan Leavke at the live show and he said he was happy to give the intellectual property, if you like, of his face to whatever you need to uh, legally note that he's happy to give it over if it means having his own face on a, on a sports card. And mm. you can too. So um, you can jump on, make your own, you can go into template, make your own card. It's all very, very straightforward. They've got a five-star rating on Google and Facebook. So the, the customer satisfaction has been there throughout their their 10-year journey. Like I say, they're, they're a bucket card, which is an absolute steal for uh, the sort of memento you can create. Uh, futuretalent.com.au is where you need to go. And if you pump in the final word or final word cricket, there's a 15% offer, um, or 15% discount, I should say, uh, that we have running at the moment. Uh, and we can't wait to yeah, give out these cards at the Adelaide Live Show. And um, you can see for yourself uh, that they're, they're, very, they're very impressive. Uh, they're a great little operation. And we'd just love to have as many people from the final word working with them in the lead up to Christmas and also knowing that we have sports presentation nights for cricket clubs around the country in March and April. What better time to jump on futuretalent.com.au, the final word or final word cricket, 15% off, jump on now. One buck a card. One buck Rogers a card. That, that was my favourite bit of on the radio during the Brisbane test was Jim Maxwell doing an impression of his wife, Jen, singing a song that she likes to sing when, when Buck is around that goes, it's beginning to feel a lot like Chris Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> did you, um, did you speak? <laughs> Take that as you will. Speaking of Jim, did you see that he, um, did he, the, 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 uh, the, the Twitter account, uh, the ABC Twitter account put up a, uh, a video of him singing uh, karaoke on the Saturday night? That's right. He was um, apparently while he had a bathroom break, he was signed up on the list. So he did Islands in the Stream as a duet. So who knows what we might get him to roll out a few tunes when we do the Adelaide live show. We'll um, we'll get the best of, get some Bing Crosby numbers or uh, whatever it might be, and, and and roll those out at the Adelaide show. Final word, final word cricket dot com for the live show. futuretalent.com.au dot com dot au to tee up with uh, the final word and with Heath Evans. Do it now. Hi everyone, you're listening to The Final Word. It's Ishigua here with Adam Collins and Jeff Levin. The final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We're moving on to the the, the the part of our show which I think we enjoy doing the most each week, Jeff. What is it? And with some of our listeners enjoy the most, it is Nerd Pledge. The game of pledges, the game of nerds, uh, the game of anything but thrones. You send us a number, we try to work out what it is. That's how it works. Uh, Patron is the page where people throw us a few bucks to keep the show going and what they do is they send in a dollars and cents amount that has a cricket application. We have to decode it and you too can play this game like Jim Allen has done. Thank you, Jim, who uh, may well be the nom de plume of Tim Allen who's just <laughs> trying to make sure that um, ruff, 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 ruff. quiet. Um, More power. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Isn't Tim Allen one of those people who's turned out to be an absolutely like shocking human being in various ways? I can't remember the details. But, oh, you know, I think, maybe, you, I think I he was he, well on that trajectory. I hope he doesn't listen to the show. 
<laughs> yeah, like probably helming a, a some sort of conspiracy theory radio show on on satellite radio in the states or something mm. by now. Who knows? Um, nonetheless, I'm sure that's not what Jim Allen is doing because Jim Allen is listening to the final word and is 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 a I'm sure a much more balanced individual. And the number that Jim has sent through is four. Oh seven, four dollars seven. So there's a four, a zero, and a seven. So there are a few different ways you can read that. Is it four hundred and seven? Is it? Is the zero not supposed to be in there? Is it like a four for seven? Yeah. Figures? Well, it, it, if he's a, yeah, well, in terms of cricketing numbers with four oh seven, there's no test score or first class. Well, obviously, it's not a test score. It's four oh seven. There's no first class score either. So. That no. tends to make me think that it's either a high profile... 400s are often cap numbers, aren't they? Yeah, well, Ben, ben Hilfenhaus is the 407th Australian Test player. Oh, uh, yeah. And the Hilfie, yep. of course, is a proud Tasmanian, so Jim might be from the Apple Isle. That might be why he's elected to go with that. It would be a great choice. 99 Test wickets, the big German disco. Um, an underrated bowler. Uh, I wish he got more of an opportunity, at least to push on to, to three figures and, and maybe beyond, but a mm. fine bowler when he did get the chance to play. You'd love just to see him come back and just be able to bowl some off breaks or something and just pick up, you know, pick up a cheap one in the deep and get <laughs> get that three figures. Um, I know from watching an incredibly softball interview on TV a few days ago that uh, Darren Lehman's best one-day international bowling figures were four for seven, <laughs> which he picked up against Zimbabwe. They were all catches at backward point, and I think there was a court and bowled as well. Right. Um, the, all, all skied catches late in the day when the uh, Zim team were going after him in 2004 so well, that's four for seven yeah well, I, I suppose if you're going to send in Darren Lehman's best ODI figures you're probably a buff ultra I'm not sure whether that's in our Venn diagram necessarily for final word listeners maybe oh, it no. is we, it could be we've, we've, I mean there, there could be admir- there could be admirers of Darren Lehman but I don't think they're going to go to the extent of identifying his best bowling in ODIs as their nerd pledge number yeah maybe possibly they, they I doubt it you know, friend of the show, we shared a car to the airport with Darren Lehman. We did. <laughs> the, we you did. know, it was all perfectly civil. So, you know, four for seven. Bob Appleyard took four for seven in a test match in 1955 against New Zealand. Okay. You know, one, of the, one of the most charmingly named England bowlers. Oh, um, I just did a quick, um, I just a, did a quick number search on the... Uh, on the okay. So, well... Bill Ponsford, when he made 437 against Queensland in 1927, Queensland were all out for 407 in the fourth dig. That's as good as it gets. There's not much else going on on 407. I'm going to guess it's one of those ones where it's the the most logical and obvious thing is the first thing we thought of, and it's probably Ben Hilfenhaus. Yep. But I like the fact that Queensland made 400 and one batsman outscored them. Yes. Yes. It's pretty remarkable. Well, mate, making 407 uh, in the fourth dig suggests it was a pretty flat track. It does. Uh, Thank you, Jim. Andy Casey has sent through 282. Now, 282 is not a score that any batsman's ever made. VVS Laxman, 281. But no one's done 282. No. Well, it's, it's Rod Hogg's uh, cap number, and he's currently on television um, in the game I'm watching from the SCG in 1984. Uh, well, he was certainly bowling in one of the test matches that's being featured in this highlights package from Australia and Pakistan back then. These days, Rod Hogg spends most of his time just yelling at Greta Thunberg, I think. I think that's mostly what he does now. What do you do for a living? Well, I 
talk about cricket and write about cricket for a living. What do you do, Rod, for a living? I, I yell at a, at a 16-year-old on Twitter. That's what he does now. So Yeah. Each He's probably sent 282 angry tweets about it's fine. a teenager on Twitter. Good on him. That's fine. It's, he's within his rights to be angry at a 16-year-old. That's fine. He's allowed to do that. Well, um, look, teenagers who want to save the planet are pretty aggravating, let me tell you. Tell, like, me, tell me about it. Just, just cramping your style. I just want to go and burn a bunch of coal in my backyard and they're telling me I shouldn't do it. Oh, I know um, what, I know what this one is. That, I've just, uh, well, I've just uh, had a quick look. Well, there's one that might be relevant to you. Your favourite Bangladeshi cricketer is Mossadegh Hussain. Oh, it's his highest first class score oh Mossadegh is one of the most underrated players in world cricket if he just got an extended run he could yeah anyway Mossadegh well first highest first class if it's if Andy's another Bangladesh fan then I would back that in um it's certainly a good option Mossadegh had a patch where he made 250 um made his highest score and then in his very next first class innings Better it and made two eighty two, so you know it, that's in your areas. But you you thought you had something. Else. Yeah, I think I know what it is. Uh, so Bill Laurie in so nineteen sixty five club cricket final in Melbourne is a very famous game because Essendon made a million and then Northcote chased it down um, by a million. I think we're talking in excess of six hundred, and Laurie made two eighty two, batting for four days in a row. I think it was as in the club finals, which spread. I think it was timeless, if I recall correctly, and Laurie batted in four consecutive days of club cricket to make uh, 282 and and lead Northcote to victory in a very famous uh, game of Melbourne cricket. So I think that Andy is probably not going to be citing Rod Hogg's cap number, probably not going to be talking about Mossadegh Hussain's first-class career, but if he's a a lover of uh, niche numbers and uh, lover of Bill Laurie, then it could easily be that. Let's get the last one in this week from Bryant Howie. He has come in with 365. Now, there are two obvious things that spring out to me here for 365. One is the score that Garfield Sobers made, which was the highest test score for a very long time yep. until Brian Lara betted it. And the other is 365 is the number of days until Peter Siddle Day <laughs> um, next year when it's announced on the 10-year anniversary of Peter Siddle's birthday hat-trick. Well, I, I want it to be that then. I want to believe that it's that. Uh, it's Stuart Law's cap number, uh, which oh, yeah? it might be a the Queensland no fan. We, we, had a, we, had a, we asked some questions about Stuart Law in the live show of Brad Hodge. Um, Stuart, of course, is a, a lovely bloke these days, the coach of Middlesex. So it, it could be a Queensland or, or Middlesex fan uh, in Bryant Howie. Uh, but I, again, I think the most obvious uh, answer is where we're going to land with Sobers. Why wouldn't it be Sobers? It, if if mm. it's not Sobers, then I'd be surprised. Well, that high score stood for such a long time as the you know the, the mountain to ascend that no one could quite get over the top of. So um, 365 lives in the consciousness as much as 375 did um, for, for those of us who had Lara's score in front of us for a long time. Very in nice. Our formative years. Thank you so much to so G- Jim Allen, Andy Casey, Bryant Howie uh, for being part of Nerd Pledge. Of course, you can also make your contribution by jumping on our Patreon page, Chef, which you do by visiting... Patreon.com slash the final word. Or you can also go to our own website and find the uh, find the links. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And uh, go and join up with the community over there. Indeed, our next goal to get 
the number of people signed up is 375. It's the Brian Lara score. So Excellent. Um, push towards that. And indeed, uh, we have got quite a backlog. A couple of people have asked on Twitter why we haven't mentioned their number yet. We're going to get to you. We're just doing it fairly and doing it in order. So um, jump to the back of the queue. And it won't be long before we get through. We'll do a few a week until we um, exhaust that. And hopefully the queue is never ending and people continue to sign up and continue to help make this show financially viable week to week and help fund the interviews, the long-form interviews that we do. We've done a bunch of them over the last 18 months and, and we'll continue doing so. That was Nerd Pledge. You've pledged. We were nerds. Okay, before we wrap it up, Jeff, I just wanted to touch on a couple of domestic cricket tournaments in Australia. The Marsh Cup final is on Tuesday at AB Field. I was just there actually uh, doing a press conference with Ben Oliver, the new boss of Australian cricket I mentioned before. Usman Khawaja was also there. Um, He's playing and captaining Queensland tomorrow against Western Australia. I felt a bit sorry for Uzi being there when sort of the whole Cricket Australia, you know, uh, press pack and, and all the rest of it come to town and he's kind of well outside of national consideration at the moment it would feel. Although in saying that, um, Justin Langer said when he was asked last week that Kawaja isn't in the squad right now because they don't need him to travel around as the spare batsman. They, they figured that it's a, a better use of his time playing state cricket. But if they win tomorrow against WA, that'll be another trophy for the Bulls. Well, he was um, on all of the uh, promo posters and whatnot hung around Brisbane over the last few weeks, I'm reliably informed. Um, the, the face adorning all of those posters was... Usman Khawaja trying to encourage Queenslanders to get down to the game, but that didn't work. Um, so I don't know whether it's that they were all, you know, all the Khawaja freaks were gutted that he wasn't there or um, whether there were other considerations at play. So nonetheless, that'll be, that game will have happened possibly by the time this <laughs> show even comes out. Um, but, and we've had a, a fair old whack of WBBL action still happening but none bigger adam none bigger than friend of the show uh sog sister of god anna lanning is is back in the limelight she's been picked up by the renegades came out and was player of the match in her first outing um after featuring on the final word all the way back in 2015 in our early days yeah, that was great. I mean, she made big runs. As you say, one of the very, very, very first guests on the final word all the way back in what would have been August 2015 with Izzy Westbury when we were covering the, the women's test match at Canterbury. But um, it wasn't enough to get the job done. The Renegades missed a fairly big opportunity, didn't they, through this week. They had a couple of chances to uh, win games they really should have. Uh, the, the Brisbane Heat, perhaps not so much, but in the Melbourne Derby, I mean, the Stars have been dreadful for a couple of years. They needed to get the job done there. They weren't able to do so. It was a bad loss, and it means that they're sitting in fifth spot on the ladder, a game out of the four. Had they won one of those two on net run rate, they'd already be in the four, and we're right at the business end now as well, so they can't afford that kind of, mm. kind of slip-ups. It's been a, that kind of season for them. They've had five games finish on the last ball but even so um, they've got the sort of list now and that experience from the finals last year where they would they'd expect to be trending up not trending down yeah the Sixers don't have Elise Perry and uh, they've suddenly gone into free fall so they've lost three in a row um, and they're in fourth spot and just hanging on yeah, I wonder how the Sixers are, are going to finish here. They they had a really important game against the Perth Scorchers when, you know, had they won, uh, they would have been, well, they probably would have been in third spot. Instead, by losing now, now two games behind. So there's a real gap between the Brisbane Heat and the Adelaide Strikers on 18 points. Both sides flawless this weekend, winning every fixture they played in. A lot of games in a, in a row there. So they're both on nine and three, nine wins, three losses. Then Perth are eight and four. 
on 16 points, and it drops away to the Sixers on 6 and 6, and the Renegades 5 and 6. So probably uh, it'll end up being one of those two, the Sixers and the Renegades, to get the fourth spot. The other less uh, talked about Lanning, Meg, has come <laughs> back in for the Scorchers as well and um, back in the runs pretty quickly. Yeah, they flayed the uh, the, the Stars. And uh, look, Lanning's form has been solid throughout. Um, she's been the most consistent player in this competition throughout the five years, with the exception of the, the year she missed with that shoulder surgery a couple of years ago. But... Um, but yes, uh, with, with the Scorchers, with her at the helm of the Scorchers, they they do look like they uh, have taken the, sort of the next step and really, as I say, put that gap in the competition. Um, the Strikers held their nerve against the Thunder. Um, Sophie Devine is absolutely on fire. She made, I think, I think she made 68 in the first game, 80 in the other. It ended up going to a super over and Devine was the, the player that went out there and ensured that they took the points there against the Thunder, who've really fallen away this year. The Thunder have only clocked nine points in 12 games. They've, they've usually mm. been a force. I know they missed the finals last year, but they won it in season one and were, were right there in the postseason in season two and season three, but they're kind of outside of contention for the finals this year and it's the Brisbane Heat who are on top and and flying high they've won another couple they they look like they're pretty good to go back to back at the moment yeah well, they beat the Renegades they did it easy against the Hurricanes who are now no longer bottom of the ladder the Stars are on, on the bottom now but you, yeah you think um, Jess Jonathan was making runs there in one game Grace Harris was making runs in the other they, they, it feels like that they are they are really well placed to go back to back so we'll take a much deeper look at the women's big bash league next week when they'll just about have finished the regular season i reckon jeff we've got one more carnival weekend so every team all teams have played 12 games out of the 14 with the exception of the renegades and the stars who have one in hand they've played 11 but they play 14 games each before we reach the final four so we'll have more to say ahead of the semi-finals and then once that's done, there's also the Australia A. There's a full Australia A series with T20s and 50-over games. So um, we'll have a look at that when it comes up. But it's been interesting to see who gets picked in that squad, you know, who's considered to be next in line. Grace Harris not in there, for instance, but mm. players like Amanda Wellington are to indicate that, you know, they're, they're still in the mix despite having fallen out of favour in the national team in recent times. But we'll come to that in more detail when it comes around. Yeah, and of course, we're, we're trending towards the World T20 T20 World Cup which is in March or April, February or March uh, 2020 so it's a long year of competitive cricket for the for the women which is great so this standalone um, WBBL for the first time's worked a treat when it come, we mentioned last week the TV numbers are out of control they've been fantastic and and the on-field um, action has, has stacked up too so uh, we'll keep a close eye on the WBBL and of course um, Jeff you'll be at the uh, World T20 next year uh, I won't be I'll be still in England because I would have hopefully um, that'll be right when we're having our baby but um, we'll be following it very very closely throughout on the final word yeah well you got some good name suggestions at the live show <laughs> on Monday uh, so Devereaux Collins is leading the the poll at this stage. Have you put that one to Rachel? Little little baby Devereaux. Well, we'll see. Uh, it's it's uh, it's in the mix. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll um, try and use it as a middle name uh, uh, per what Steve Smith's parents elected to do all those years ago. It'd be a nice little link. Yeah. That's a fucking terrible idea. Imagine I genuinely made. <laughs> We ha- imagine we have a boy and I and I elect the middle name at Devereaux because of Stephen Smith. I'd I'd have to really sort my really get my priorities reconsidered if that would have been the case. 
Stephen Peter Devereaux column. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a bold... That would be nailing your colours to the mast. Yeah, well, I have seen him make, what is it, like 24 of his 26 test hundreds or something daft, but, you know, I'm a big fan, yeah. but I've really enjoyed his work, but perhaps not quite that much. Yeah, yeah, we've, 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 we've missed one between us. The, the one at, was it Centurion? Um, yeah, Centurion. 2014. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but between the rest, we've got it covered. Anyway, that's enough for today. We've, we've managed to do a show that was less than two hours, so good on us. Yeah, we've uh, managed to keep that in check. That's enough from us today on the nonsense front, but there was one serious thing that we wanted to gesture to before we finished the show today. By the time this show goes out, thereabouts will be uh, just about five years since Philip Hughes died and left the Australian cricket community and uh, and the community more broadly and, and those who knew him and loved him more closely as well. Uh, it's still someone who gets thought about often and, and who comes up often in conversations with cricketers and around the game and someone who's missed to this day. So it's, uh, it's a, a sad time of year when it comes around, but, you know, five years it feels significant you know it's it's it seems like it was only recent and it also seems like it was a long time ago at the same time yeah absolutely uh normally at this stage of the show we would we would close with earth boy stories uh, but instead today we will pay tribute to philip hughes with the song that earth boy wrote about the former australian batsman nan bucket boy and all of those thousand thoughts that could be in the back of your mind Looking out the dressing room door Am I good enough to don these whites? It's the SCJ, but the nerves are bilingual Often settled by a single Just hit the damn ball, yet the game is that simple Jitter fear of a cheap dismissal On the walls hung the accolades The names that have been engraved The Bradbans, the Benos, the giants of the game they rose up like a fig tree out of Saturdays The kid was seeing them like basketballs The summer that he'd be recalled Feet moving and a better balance on the shorter ball Scoring free, barely getting caught at all He was brought up Nambucca Riverway Town of Maxfield, young kid begins to play The way he wields the willow outside off No matter what was thrown at him, well it'd bounce right off Runs came in fifties and tons Ever since he was young Save your legs, fill it's four more runs Baggy cap was not a match for the Australian sun Next to nose has got burnt Put the emblem on the front And a write up in a local paper But this time not up in the back of the sports pages A local lad had cracked the shield side Couple years after the ashes of 05 Raised his bat that much that he got his baggy green Flying across the Indian Ocean the Australian team, number one ranked opposition. Dale Stain at the peak of his powers, the booing against him in a nerve wracking hour. And he failed at first caught by the keeper, but it was the second innings of the match that he featured. Second test of the series, a century in both innings, the youngest to do it at 20, no longer a secret. And it had all gone to plan, but his destiny was never that simple. Cause simple is rare, a temporary member in and out of the test. But soon enough a permanent threat But there, they're in the middle that November night Let the groundsman turn on the lights The radio reports saying that the batsman died So let the groundsman turn on the lights And all of these thousand thoughts That would be in the back of their minds They're walking out the dressing room door We solemnly side by side 
salesmen turn on the lights. The grown men crying the traffic lights. And everywhere there were bats outside. So let the grounds return on the lights. Play on.